does, but only if you will open your heart and see the evidence that points to its truth. Well, good morning, Westside. It is good to be here with you this morning. For those that are joining us online, good morning. My name is Caleb Klinger. I am the student director here at Westside, and it is my pleasure and privilege to be here this morning and talk about this subject specifically. I have to confess that when we were planning our series for the year in our planning meeting, and I saw we were talking about this topic, Can I Trust the Bible?, I intervened and I begged Casey to let me present a, um, a message in this series specifically on this topic because it's so important to me and it was so important in my faith and growing in my faith and coming to this realization of, of trusting in the scripture, trusting in the story of Jesus. And, and so I, I love the stuff that I'm going to be talking about today. A lot of it is evidentiary. A lot of it is a little bit on the intellectual academic side. I hope that it still inspires you to come to a new realization of what the Bible is, what the Bible says to be true. And, and the reason that, that we're, we're talking about this is because it's so important in our faith, in our relationship with Jesus, to have that solid foundation of truth and to be confident in our faith. And so as we dig into this, I hope that it inspires you. I hope that after this, you, you go and you look at the evidence yourself, that you dig into it and that you research it and that you come to your own logical conclusion to support and to ground your faith in. So as we start today, I, I wanna start by saying this statement that, that maybe for some of you is, is kind of a, a new idea that you, you're not really sure about, but the Bible is the most sold, studied, and scrutinized book in all of human history. You see, a, a long time ago, they removed the Bible from best-selling lists because it was always number one. And so every best-selling list that you look at, just put the Bible at number one, because it is the most sold book year after year after year. It is the most sold book. But it's also the most studied and scrutinized book in all of human history. In fact, there are many different fields of study that you can get a career in today that are fully devoted to either studying or scrutinizing the Bible. It's, it's so interesting that, that we have this ancient text that, that people can, can go into a, a school and they can learn how to study and they can learn how to scrutinize the Bible and make a career out of it. Also, there is a literal mountain of literature written about the Bible. Any topic that you can think of that relates to the Bible, I guarantee you there's a book that someone wrote about it. Like, there are so much that has been written about the Bible, both for and against the Bible, that you can discover anything relating to a topic that is found in the Bible. And, it, and, 
And as we, we grow in this technology, we have access to so much of what has been said, what has been written about the Bible. And, and because of that, in, in spite of all that, I should say, in spite of all the study, all the scrutiny for millennia, the Bible is still the most important book in all of human history. It is the most important book. It has shaped entire civilizations. It has shaped our, 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 our system of law. It shaped our system of government. Like, you look at the impact of the Bible, it is the most important book in all of human history. But the reason that it's the most important book is because of one story found in the Bible, and that's the story of Jesus. You see, it all hinges on Jesus. Jesus is the figurehead of the Bible. Jesus is the key to what the Bible says and the key to understanding the Bible. It all hinges on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Without Jesus, Casey talked about it last week. If you haven't watched that message, I encourage you to go online and find that message because Jesus talk, or Casey talked about how the Bible came to be because of who Jesus is. The Bible doesn't exist without Jesus. The Bible is not that important if we don't have the story of Jesus contained inside of it. And so as Christians, when, when we are defending Scripture, when we are, are you know, putting this faith in the truth of Scripture, we defend the veracity of Scripture because of the hope that we have in Jesus' resurrection. That's why we defend the, the veracity of Scripture. That's why we defend the truth that is found in Scripture, because it all hinges on Jesus, and we have that hope in Jesus' resurrection. See, our hope is not in the accuracy or, or the truth of the Bible, except in the story of Jesus. Our foundation for our faith is not in the Bible, but it is in Jesus. Jesus is the key. And Casey said last week what Paul talked about in one of his letters where he said, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we are to be the most pitied among all men because he knew that faith that we have, the trust that we have, it all hinges on Jesus. So, so why then should we defend the veracity of Scripture? It's because we are following Jesus, and he studied Scripture. He applied it to his life. He used it as an authority in his life. And we also defend it because it contains the story of Jesus. It contains the story of his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and ultimately his bride, which is the church, which is you and I sitting here today or joining us. And so we defend it because we need to have that answer. We need to have that foundation for our faith. We need to be prepared to have that answer for when people question us, when people have those earnest, honest questions for us. We need to be able to, to provide that answer for why we believe the things that we believe. And so I hope that I give you a little bit of, of a, a foundational uh, uh, just a, a, th a foundation that you can come from in, in providing that answer for when you are questioned or when you have doubts or when you have these opportunities to share what it is that you believe. 
So our scripture this morning is coming from 1 Peter, and it's 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16, and, and Peter is writing to his church, and he says this, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So, so Peter says that we need to have this foundation. We need to be able to be prepared to give an answer always. And, and what he's talking about is not having a blind faith. Like prepping for, for an answer means that we are going to have to have some knowledge, we're gonna have to understand, and ultimately, we're gonna have to have a logical reason for our belief. And that's where I believe we're, we, we can have that. I believe that, that we can actually come to a logical conclusion of the reliability of the Bible and the story of Jesus. Because I believe the veracity of Scripture is founded in logic. I believe that, that the truth and the reliability of Scripture is founded in logic. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that today and give you some of the evidence and some of the, the logical conclusions that we can come to about Scripture. And, and our trust in Scripture and trust in the truth of Scripture isn't, isn't this blind faith. It's not this blind faith that we just accept but it's something that we can research. It's something that we can weigh the evidence of, and, and we, we should look at that evidence. We should research it. We should come to those logical conclusions to see that Scripture contains truth for our lives because it tells the most important story, God's redemptive plan for humanity. See, the Bible tells of this incredible story that encompasses thousands of years and thousands of generations of God moving through people and in people's lives to bring about redemption for us. And we can have confidence in our belief in Jesus because of the truth of Scripture. In 2 Peter verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, Peter talks to this church and he says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Peter is not talking about blindly accepting something because he's saying it. He says, you know them. You have seen or you have heard other stories. My job is just to remind you, to refresh your memory, and to make sure that that memory is preserved for generations to come. You know them. You've already firmly established in the truth. Why? Because you've seen what has happened, because you've heard the, the collaboration, the corroboration of other witnesses. You've heard the eyewitness accounts. You've seen with your own eyes and heard with your own ears. You know these things. It is not blindly that you are following. It's just my job to refresh you in that memory. So as we look through this, this, these next few points, you're gonna see that, that we have this evidence, we have these eyewitnesses that give us a confidence in the reliability of scripture. 
So the first thing that we have is the, the Bible is a reliable collection of poetry, history, romance, prophecy, and letters. How do we know it's reliable? Well, we can come to a logical conclusion that it's reliable because we have evidence. So we have the literary accuracy of, because of corroboration. Literary accuracy or literary evidentiary support because we have other historians that weren't biblical historians. We have secular accounts that corroborate stories and, and people that were in the Bible that talk about the events that happened, especially within Jesus' lifetime, the early church. We have Roman historians, Greek historians that talk about those events that transpired. And so because of that corroboration, we can, we can understand that the, the literary evidence supports the accuracy of the Bible. We also have manuscript evidence. And manuscripts are, are, are copies or fragments of original text of what the Bible says. You know, there's over 24,000 different manuscript fragments that have been found to date. 24,000 manuscript fragments. And all over, over the, the breadth of all 24,000, there is close to a 96% accuracy to the Bible that you can hold in your hand today. 96% accuracy within that translation. And the variance, the, the 4 or 5% variance, is mostly grammar, spelling, and syntax. It doesn't change a single divinical claim. It doesn't change a single theological belief that you would find in the Bible. By all accounts, the Bible is the gold standard when it comes to ancient texts for manuscript evidence. Because the, the closest manuscript, for example, to the Gospels, is only 30 years past the day, the date that those events were happening. 30 year difference. To put that into context, an ancient text like the Iliad has about 8,000 manuscript fragments or manuscript copies that corroborate the, the Iliad. The closest manuscript to the actual original date is 900 years. There are 900 years of separation between when the Iliad was wrote to the oldest manuscript. And when you look at the stories of Jesus, there's only a 30-year gap. And so the manuscript evidence that is available to us is incredible. It puts all other ancient texts to shame. There is so much manuscript evidence for the accuracy of the translations that we have today that the Bible is the gold standard when it comes to manuscript evidence for ancient texts. We also have archaeological evidence. Over 23,000 archaeological finds corroborate characters, events, and stories that we find in the Bible. This is literally a mountain of archaeological evidence that is growing every single day. You see, as our technology advances, as our archaeological science advances, we are discovering more and more archaeological finds that corroborate the biblical accounts. And then we have the falsifiable claims that are in the Bible. What is a falsifiable claim? It's, it's a claim that is easily disproven. For instance, if I were to stand up here and say that 50% of Leavenworth and Lansing's population are 12-foot lizard men, 
you guys could automatically go and verify that that was a false claim. The Bible is full of these claims. The Bible is full of claims that could easily be debunked or repudiated because of the amount of witnesses, because of the, 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 just the magnitude of the claims that are found in the Bible. That, that we would have evidence and we would have incredible support for the counterpoints listed in the Bible because of these falsifiable claims that are listed in the Bible. And one of the reasons that, that, that we can trust the Bible is because the Bible was written by contemporaries. The Bible was written by contemporaries. A contemporary is simply a person or a thing living or existing at the same time as another, right? So, so when you write an account, a historical account, if you're several generations removed from it, then it's, it's not as easily disproven as when you are writing about events that are happening at the same time as other people are experiencing them. And the Bible was written by these contemporaries, written in the lifetimes of other people that could either totally debunk what you were writing or affirm it and comp complement it. And so because the Bible was written by contemporaries, which, which were living during the time or during the generations of people that also saw, that also experienced, that also were witness to the events that they were writing about. You can have faith and you can trust in the reliability of the Bible. The Bible also contains the eyewitness accounts of God's supernatural intervention. And, and sometimes in the Bible, we see that these events were witnessed by a, a single person. It was a personal event. But other times, you see that thousands upon thousands of people were witness to these supernatural events. And so it comes back to the, these falsifiable claims. If you're writing about an event that, that was eyewitnessed by, by thousands upon thousands of people, it becomes much, much easier to refute that claim. The Bible also contains the story of Jesus who fulfilled very specific prophecies. You see, many specific prophecies recorded in Scripture have been confirmed to have been fulfilled, in some cases, hundreds of years after they were proclaimed. And it's the specificity of these prophecies that make it so unlikely to be fulfilled by a random person. It's the amount of prophecies and how specific those prophecies are that are fulfilled in the personhood of Jesus that for it to be random chance is almost incalculable. Almost incalculable. And so we have these specific prophecies and we have the specific person of Jesus who fulfills all of those prophecies. So that's, this is all leading us to this conclusion, this logical conclusion of what the Bible is. Because the Bible contains claims of divine inspiration. You see, the Bible was written by men, but, but they claim that they were divinely inspired to either capture the words or to, to, to speak the truth of God to the people that they were writing to. It's it's the, the authors of the scriptures that, that claim this divine inspiration that God was speaking directly to them and through them. And, and I hear a, a, a claim or a counterpoint to the veracity of scripture that, that men are fallible. 
but it's when you claim this divine inspiration that, that the onus is not on the man himself or the woman themselves, but it's, it's claiming this divine inspiration from God. And so we look at all of this and we see how Peter addresses this question in 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, Peter right there debunks the whole grand scheme grand manipulation, grand devising of this scheme. He's saying that, that we, we're not following some scheme to try to trick you. This isn't something that we just came up with. We were all eyewitnesses of his majesty. He goes on to, to, to recount the story of, of Jesus saying, he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. You see, he's also including other people into this account. He's not saying this is just not something that I have been witness to. We saw it. There are, there are corroborating witnesses to this account. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. See, that's a warning for all of us. If you do not trust in the reliability of this account of Jesus and who Jesus is, maybe, maybe we haven't convinced you and you need to dig into it and you need to do the research yourself. Peter has a warning. You would do well to pay attention because it is like being in a dark field and all of a sudden a beacon of light shooting up into space. You'd pay attention to that. You'd wonder, what is going on? So he gives that warning. You need to pay attention to it. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, there's a, a pastor and theologian named Vadi Bakum. He's also an apologist. And he teaches university students. He teaches young people. And he takes that section of Peter and, and he breaks it down into more of a bite-sized statement of belief. And I think it's so important for us to, to be able to, to understand that, that statement of belief when it comes to the Bible. Because when people ask us, when people ask us to, to give that answer for the hope that we have, it's, it's important for us to, to be able to say and, and, and clearly state what it is that we believe. And so his statement is in your notes for you. And and, and Vadi says this, I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, reporting supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim their writings are divine and not of human origin. This is the foundation and, and the reliability that we have in the Scripture because of the hope that we have in Jesus. 
the hope that we have in Jesus' resurrection, we can have that, that foundational faith in what the scriptures say. And that's our teaching big idea today is that I can trust the reliability of the Bible because of evidence, eyewitnesses, and logic. You see, we have mountains of evidence. We have the evidence that supports the historicity of the Scripture, that supports the, the stories and the events that transpired and took place in the Scripture. We have the eyewitness accounts that not only corroborate with each other, but they complement each other in a way that, that is so uh, close to what true eyewitness accounts look like. We have all that so that we can t- come to a logical conclusion so that you and I can use the intellect that God has given us and that we can come to a logical conclusion of the reliability of Scripture. And when we come to that, that, that logical conclusion of the reliability of Scripture, it leads us towards Jesus. Vadi, in, in, Vadi Bakum in his, in his uh, lecture and in, in this presentation that he does talking about Scripture has this as his main idea. It is logical and rational to trust the Bible. And I think the inverse of that is so interesting because it becomes much more powerful statement. That it's actually illogical and irrational to not trust the Bible. That if you discard what the Bible has to say, if you ignore that bright light, you're not being logical, you're being illogical, you're being irrational. And so that, that, that has a, a, an, important, uh, an important impact on us, that, that we have to come to that logical conclusion, that we can use our intellect and our rationale to, to come to that conclusion about the veracity of Scripture. You see, I've heard claims that, that because you can't use science to prove that the Bible is true, People are often saying that because they're talking about the scientific method. Well, guess what? You, you, you can't use the scientific method to prove that World War II happened, right? Because if you did, you'd have to kill millions of people in order to recreate it. So you have to understand that when it comes to historical and ancient texts, the way that they verify it is through literary accuracy, which we talked about, manuscript evidence, which the Bible has the most of. Archaeological evidence, which the Bible has just tons of evidence that support it. And so when you look at the reliability of a historical account, those are the things that you have to weigh. And so we can get to that logical conclusion that the Bible not only has truth for us, but that it is a reliable source for us. And once you come to that conclusion, you can look at the Old and New Testament and see the narrative in it. Because the Old Testament narrative points to Jesus. The New Testament narrative tells us of his life, ministry, death, and resurrection, and gives us wisdom on how we should live. You see, the Bible is constructed of 66 books. 
that are all uniquely grouped into these sections. So we have the first five books of the Bible, which are the ancient law of Israel, the Torah, as they are called. Then you have 12 books that capture the history of ancient Israel. So you have their, their kings, you have their stories of their, their wars and their battles and the conquests, the stories of their exile and their captivity. You have all those located in the history books there. And then we have the, the five books that are of poetry, wisdom, uh, romance in, in the middle of the Bible. And then you have 12, or five books of major prophets. And these were prophets that were sent by God to warn Israel of, of what God wanted them to do, but also to prophesy about his plan, his redemptive plan through the Messiah. Then you have the 12 minor prophets who are all complementary and, and have their role to play during that, that time in Israel where Israel was turning away from God and those prophets were sent to redirect them, to refocus on God, but also contain prophecies about Messiah. And then we have the four gospels that tell the story of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. We have the book that, that contains the story of the early church and how Christianity just became like a wildfire in the modern world at the time and it spread throughout all of the Roman Empire into the other parts of the world. We have 21 letters that were written by, by apostles, by, by church leaders to different churches at different times in their, their you know, formation, in their, in their infancy, really, on how they should be living as Christians. And we have that final book of prophecy at the end of the Bible. And, and all of this is divinely inspired and, and, and brought together in this collection that is reliable. It was written in three languages. It was written by over 40, no, by 40 authors, not over 40, by 40 authors. It was written over the span of 1,500 years, spanning three continents. It's been corroborated by 23,000 and more archeological digs. It's been corroborated and, and translated accurately that is corroborated by the 24,000 manuscript fragments and manuscript copies that we have available to us. The oldest of which dates back to the seventh century BC. It's almost 3,000 years ago, and yet on those silver amulets that they found, you find an exact copy of the priestly benediction found in Numbers. You have to understand that the the accuracy of the translation that you have today is nothing short of a miracle. For it to have lasted and been pre preserved for this long and to match so closely to the original text is nothing short of a miracle. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives his answer. He was prepared to give the answer for the hope that he had. And, and this is what Paul says. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. 
For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. This claim here is so important. When we talk about falsifiable claims, he is saying that Jesus in his resurrected form appeared to 500 at the same time, most of whom are still living. He is inviting the criticism here. He's saying, if you don't believe me, I got a list of names that you can reach out to. Because it's not just me. It's not just my personal experience. This is something that is backed up by hundreds of people. The some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. You see, we have this confidence. I hope that confidence was, was built up today by the evidence provided that you can come to a logical conclusion in the reliability of Bible, but that doesn't stop there. That it doesn't stop there. Because it's Jesus' resurrection that gives me the confidence to trust Scripture, to guide my beliefs and actions. It's our series' big idea. Jesus is the key. Everything hinges on Jesus. It's because Jesus' resurrection gives me the confidence to trust Scripture to guide my beliefs and actions. You see, the Bible has a mountain of evidence that you can look at, uh, and you can see for yourself if what the Bible contains is reliable. You can come to that logical conclusion, but if you stop there and you don't answer the important question, who is Jesus? Then, then you're not answering the most important question for your life. See, Casey last week talked about how the Bible doesn't exist without Jesus. Because Jesus is that cornerstone for our faith. And so we have to come to that, that conclusion. We have to come before, before God and we have to answer that question, who is Jesus Because the Bible is reliable, I believe that we can have the confidence that Jesus is who he said he was. We can have the confidence that Jesus is the foundation for our faith and for everything that we believe. And he is where I put my trust. He is who I am going to build my life on. song we could ever sing You're worthy of all the praise we could ever bring You're Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you 
Let's all stand together. Jesus, the name above every other name. Is Jesus the only one who could ever say? You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring you're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you oh we live for you in holy there is no one like you there you open up my eyes and wander and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. so glad that my faith isn't in a book but my faith is informed by this book but my faith in your faith is in the resurrection of Jesus and it's because of the resurrection of Jesus that we can look at this scripture and we can see the evidence around it that just really ensures the faith that we have to allow it to inform our beliefs and allow it to inform who we are and see us in light of his story and you don't want to miss next Sunday next Sunday we're going to look at the, what this story is of what this delicate book tells us and what's this narrative all about 
and how does this connect with us? You don't want to miss next Sunday. Also, I want to let you know before we dismiss you, a couple, a couple things. One, everything you need to know is inside the Westside Leavenworth app. If you have not downloaded that, download that today. Uh, also, you can look at it online, but I encourage you to get the app. Um, our prayer partners, uh, before I tell you a couple of events are, are available, they'll be available after the service online in here in the room at the tables. They'd love to pray with anyone for any reason. A couple of things I want to let you know about before you leave. So just hang right here for a, a couple, about a minute longer. One is this, is if you would like to explore this more about what the Bible is and want to see how you can navigate it and see what it is and study it and how it affects you, sign up to, for this 10-week study that we're doing on site beginning July 7th. We're going to have an information lunch on June 27th. So this is a free lunch for you. I mean, bonus, right? Free lunch. Register for that on the app uh, or westsidelevelworth.com forward slash Bible. Uh, we also uh, continue kids gig this week. And if you haven't had brought your kids to kids gig on our Tuesday nights throughout the whole month of June, it's not too late. Register them on the app or online or, uh, and you can do that. Uh, and, and also I wanna let you know on the 29th, the last Tuesday of Kids Gig, which is the 29th of June, we're gonna have a big family fun night here at the building. The fun begins here inside this room, but here's the deal, parents and grandparents and guardians. You're, you must be in attendance with your kid. They can't just, just drop them off that weekend. And we're gonna have inflatables and not weekend, that Tuesday. We're gonna have inflatables, hot dogs, games all on our parking lot. Do not miss that day. Um, so get your kids to Kids Gig and come back for the family fun night. Also speaking of kids, we're so grateful for the many of you who serve and make the kids environments and student environments happen every Sunday. And because of the, how many leaders it takes on July 4th, the holiday weekend, we're not gonna have kids ministry environments or student ministry environments. We're inviting all our families to come and all the kids to experience service with us together in the room on that day. So make sure you don't miss that and come here and then thank a kid leader who joins this. Also, as we go into the fall, if you have any desire to help lead a singles group or a couples group this fall, I want you to open the app and let us know and sign up for a dinner that we want to invite you to, to find out more information. Here's my blessing to you. May you discover the new story of what the Bible has to say. Because it's not just a ancient book. It's God's narrative that he inspired men to write to lead you and I to know who he is. Yes, it can be confusing. But as we center our lives on Jesus and see scripture through it, we can discover a life-giving truth that changes us and could change the world. Jesus, thank you. In your name, we say amen. God bless you, Westside. We'll see you next. Hey, Westside. Thank you so much for sticking with us, and we hope that you enjoyed week two of Can I Trust the